Welcome to the Deconstructing Data Podcast. I'm Jesse Lezak, CMO at BDEX, along with David Finkelstein, BDEX's founder and CEO. How's it going, David? Uh, it's going well, Jesse. Good to see you. Um, you too. Yeah, it's, I'm excited about today's podcast. We have a great guest. Uh, I can't believe we're almost halfway through the year <laughs> as wow. well. But, uh, but yeah, let's jump right in. I'm excited. Let's do it. It'll be a good conversation. <laughs> so, um, well, David, we we're today we're really lucky because we do, like you said, have another esteemed guest, um, an adept marketing executive, specialing in transformation and team building across various organizations, from startups to experience working at larger organizations like Apple and IBM. Um, and he has a track record of driving innovative ideas and leading teams toward business objectives. So let's please welcome Michael Trapani, Head of Product Marketing at Action IQ, and bring him in. Hi, Michael. Thanks for being here. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we appreciate you being here, Michael. Um, excited to get jump right into the conversation. So why don't you give us a little bit of uh, your background, kick us off with that, and uh, I'd love to hear what led you to join Action IQ. Uh, Action IQ and and also um, a little bit about what you guys do. Yeah, for sure. So again, thanks for having me on. Excited to talk with both of you. Um, my background is in tech. I've been in, in the technology space for a couple of decades now. Um, started my career at Apple. Learned a lot about positioning and marketing. Um, took the skill to the startup space um, and was part of the New York startup scene for a while. One of those startups was bought by IBM, so had a successful exit there. Uh, worked on the IBM Watson team for quite some time, taught me a lot about artificial intelligence and, and all the exciting things happening uh, that we're seeing a lot more of today. Um, and then spent some time in the uh, SaaS marketing space, so marketing tools for marketers um, with a lot of software as a service businesses worked in uh, a couple of other startups um, and recently was CMO at an AI startup. Um, and now I'm at Action IQ, which is a customer data platform. So uh, really excited to be here. Um, and what Action IQ is, is we're basically a, a technology company that helps enterprise brands help them reach their revenue goals. And we do this by giving marketing teams at those enterprise companies real-time access to customer data. So we help them tap directly into the central sources of data and give them really simple interfaces to manipulate, slice and dice that data, um, giving the marketers the ability to build really smart audiences and use them anywhere in the customer lifecycle. That's awesome. This is going to be a really great conversation. Um, and so let's get right into this first topic. So I'll just pull it up here. Um, but, you know, what positive and negative trends have you seen from brands who are moving away from using third party data, something we used to talk about more. We haven't talked about in a while, actually. Um, it does come up, I, I suppose, from time to time. Um, but, you know, is the use of first party data and advertising? It's obviously on the rise. But um, can you just talk about that transition a little bit? For sure. I think to your point, third-party data, I mean, we can think about this very broadly as third-party cookies or just general third-party data has been yeah. a staple of digital advertising for the last few decades. Um, 
since since you had advertising on the web, you, you had cookies uh, for, for a very long time. Um, and a lot of things have changed in that time. I think a lot of demands from consumers around privacy. Um, there was a lot of buying and selling of that data without any knowledge or permission of the consumers. Um, we also found that as marketers, um, once we were able to compare third-party data with something like data that the marketing team could collect themselves in-house from behavior on a website or maybe from you know, existing customer databases, is that third-party data isn't super reliable, isn't super accurate. Um, and it made sense to use when there was no alternative, but I think as more marketing teams are getting wise to the fact that third-party data isn't super good <laughs> in performance, um, and, and also extremely expensive to use. Uh, that combined with third-party cookies going away um, with the major browsers, I think uh, Google has announced that this will be the last full year of third-party cookies being accessible in Chrome um, with some alternatives that they're working on. I think more marketing teams are starting to look for alternatives. Um, and the biggest and most foundational way to do that is to build a strong first-party data strategy. And first-party data is really just uh, data that you own, data that's collected from your known customers um, or from your existing properties like your website, but even offline channels like kiosks or POS systems or retail stores. Um, this is information about customers that they give you permission. So you have a, a bit more of a trust factor with your existing customers. But then you also understand um, you know, that that data is going to be reliable because it's not being bought or sold on some kind of exchange. Um, it's being given to you by those customers. Um, so it's, it's become, I think, a much more effective tool for targeting in advertising, um, but also, you know, broader marketing, customer acquisition, loyalty, things like that. Yeah, we talk a lot about first party data on this podcast, um, really ever since we, we started it. Um, because we've always been a proponent of helping companies, you know, leverage their first party data. And I think, you know, over the years, like you said, third party data has become less reliable. I think everybody always knew that there was, there was, you know, a percentage of bad data within that third party data and everybody sort of just accepted it for the longest time. And, and I think that over time, um, everyone's kind of realized that it's becoming more and more important to, to find ways to improve performance and, and if you're using bad data, like there's not really a way to improve performance, right? I mean, bad data is, is just bad and, and there's not much you can do to improve it. Um, and so people are starting to realize like there are other ways, other things I can do, right? I can now kind of harness my first party data better. And there's a lot of tools like what you guys are doing um, that's really helpful and help uh, allowing companies to do this in a way that they never could do before, right? Uh, I think that's super important and we're seeing more and more of that going forward. And we talk a lot about the value exchange, right? The, the fact that, you know, you know, people are, uh, are inherently maybe uncomfortable sharing data because of some of the data breaches and things like that that have happened in the past. And so now if you're a company and you're asking uh, someone to share data with you, you have to sort of build some trust with that consumer. You have to, um, uh, you know, you have to manage that data properly. Uh, and you have to provide some sort of value exchange. Like people have to feel like they're they're willing to uh, to give up that data. They're getting something back in value. 
Um, so talk and to me a little bit about, about what you're seeing when, when you build those relationships with the brands that you're, that are using your platform and, and what you're seeing them doing to, to sort of get over that hurdle. For sure. And I think that's a really important point. We think that that's a good thing, that that value exchange is harder um, to do now. And, and because ultimately, and this is, you know, coming from a marketer, like so much about marketing and brand equity is about trust. And if you're able to build trust with a strong value exchange, uh, then that's a good thing. I think that's a, a first step in building that customer relationship. Um, you know, we're, we're, I can give you a couple of examples. One that one of our customers, Bloomberg Media, um, is a, a great customer. So they're a, they're a publication. They were one of the first major media outlets to go fully paid, fully subscription based. And, you know, they, they wanted to drive subscriptions, increase subscribers. Um, and they had to completely rethink how they were doing their value exchange with new customers. So one of the tools that they used for that value exchange is newsletters. So they knew that specific readers would sometimes follow not just specific topics, but specific reporters. And they started to isolate and segment their audiences based on who read certain journalists uh, at Bloomberg. And they built a whole newsletter strategy around them, offering newsletters for free to existing uh, to non-customers. Um, you just needed an email address, and that's a natural value exchange because you got to deliver that newsletter somehow. It's got to go into your email inbox, so it's very, very uh, easy for a customer to give that. Um, and over time, they would start making subscriber-specific offers to those newsletter readers to subscribe to Bloomberg for more content uh, by that author. So they would have a very specific value exchange designed for that customer. Um, and they were able to identify that there were these unique trends of customers reading specific authors by using Action IQ, but also you know, just taking a hard look at the data that they have. They didn't have to go out and buy something. They didn't have to start this crazy new project. They just were able to take a hard look at the data that they already owned and create a really great system um, to do that. And they were able to grow their subscriber base by like over hundred um, percent, just really, really great outcomes from that. Um, so, I mean, I, I think, you know, there, the, there's, there's all the positives that can come out of using first party data, but I think like any change, any transition, um, there are some, some challenges that you have to work through, right? I think there's a lot of realities of systems that we've been using for the last 10 years. I think of data management platforms, DMPs, right? They're built around third-party cookies. Um, you, sort of, you, you sort of can't use a DMP anymore, at least at the same level of value that, that um, you could have. And so, you know, people are looking for alternatives to DMPs. I think the same concept applies to things like data onboarding, right? So there's a lot of vendors out there that the original alternative to third-party cookies was, okay, how do I identify these unknown folks that are visiting my site? How do I identify these people that I don't know? Well, we can ship off our customer data to a data onboarder um, and they can do some matching on their side and give me some sense of who I'm talking to. Um, but, you know, we're finding that people are getting better match rates by using the data that they have, right? So there's, 
there's trends and shifts and that involves some change and maybe some um, evolution of the technology stack that you're using. But, um, you know, it ultimately leads to better performing marketing. Uh, and that's an encouraging part of all of it. Definitely. And that's a really great transition into the second topic as well. Um, and of course, we talk about first party data. I guess earlier what I meant was like, you know, to me, I just assume um, first party data, but I know I know still some companies haven't started to make this transition. And so a lot of the time when we talk about third party cookies, um, you know, there are companies who this is just new to. Um, so when I say we haven't talked about it, you know, a lot, it's it's something that, you know, Google just keeps putting off. So I don't think a lot of people have had to take seriously, but, you know, um, that transition, um, it really does need to happen. Many have made it happen and probably, you know, thanks to the help from, I know, Action IQ and then of course, BDEX, but, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about that and, um, you know, help provide some knowledge for some of those teams out there who, um, at all levels, you know, who may just be thinking about this now and or have been doing it for years. Um, but, you know, marketing to data teams for customer data management. Um, and, you know, is there a shift from marketing owning customer data to dedicated teams embedding customer data into a broader marketing stack? Um, so we'll let you kick us off here, Michael, if you don't mind. We're definitely seeing it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that if you look back, I don't know, five or so years, there was this demand from consumers to have more personalized experiences. We all know that. Um, that's been going on for a while. Um, marketing teams are very close to that demand and they're close to the revenue. And so in their minds, they say, okay, well, we have to build, we need to use more customer data because that's how we get more personalized experiences. If we don't know anything about our customer, we can't personalize it. So they first thing they did was they went to their IT team or the teams that managed all the technology stack or all of the data uh, that was collected centrally at the company. And they said, hey, here's what we need to do. And a lot of IT organizations said, great, we're going to build this huge data lake, this customer 360. We're getting these demands from all different parts of the business to have a single view of the customer. We're going to build that. Um, and here we are five years later, and a lot, of, uh, a lot of big enterprises have come a long way in those projects. Um, but the, the period of time from when those projects kicked off to where we are today, a lot of marketing teams went off and said, look, we can't wait three years. We can't wait you know, for this huge project to be done. Uh, we're gonna go out and buy something. And at the time there was an opportune technology called the CDP, the customer data platform. And I think a lot of marketers saw it as a, oh, this is perfect. This is a data platform for customer data. Uh, I can go out and buy it myself. I can plug in all of the data sources that I know of, my website, my CRM, things like that. Um, and this will be great. Um, and, and so that's where the first generation of CDPs really got kicked off. Um, and it's where a lot of the major CDP players today still live. What we're starting to see now is the IT team, that, that technology team, that data team, it's getting a lot more mature in these organizations as time goes on. And technology has come a long way. So you're seeing the rise of things like cloud data warehouses, vendors like Snowflake and Databricks and uh, Amazon has Redshift and Google has BigQuery. 
these big data warehouses, which are designed to be much more accessible systems to store centralized sources of customer data um, and make it accessible to, uh, to you know, plug into different things. You can just query the, these databases and, and you can store customer data and you can store anything in it. And so, um, you know, now the data team is coming back and saying, hey, marketing team, you went off and bought this customer data platform. Uh, cool, but there's a big problem. Uh, you're making a copy of all of the data that we're centralizing in this unified data store, in this data lake, in our Snowflake instance, in our Databricks instance. Uh, and that's, you can't really do that anymore, right? This is sensitive customer data. We need to protect it. And every time you're trying to integrate your CDP into this, you know, uh, data warehouse, you're making a copy of it and you're putting it out of sync. You're putting it at risk. Um, so it's a big problem. Um, it also means latency is really bad because these data warehouses can only work in batch sort of to get technical, right? They can only send things out in a scheduled, you know, amount of time. Um, and so, you know, the performance isn't that great when these things try to talk to each other. Um, and so we're, we were in this weird phase right now where the data team says, Hey, look, we finally have the underlying infrastructure that you can use marketing team, uh, you know, just use this. And the marketing team comes back and says, well, cool. I, you know, my, my team doesn't know SQL, right? I can't query your snowflake, you know, customer data warehouse. Um, and I ultimately can't activate all of this data that you say is that he's here. Um, in my marketing campaigns. So what do we do? Um, and what you're starting to see now is the emergence of what's referred to as a composable CDP, which is basically uh, a customer data platform that marketers love. But instead of it being the separate silo of data over here, it's mapping directly to those centralized customer data warehouses. So you know, to use the example of Action IQ, we can map directly to something like Snowflake, to Databricks, to these big central data stores, or if you have an in-house data warehouse. Um, and without making any copies of that data, give the marketing team self-service access to everything that's in that database, everything that's in that centralized data store. And the marketing teams love it because it's marketing-friendly interface. It's everything that they've expected from a customer data platform for the last few years. But now the data teams like it too, because we're not asking the marketing team to make copies of the data um, and we're keeping everything in one place. We're keeping everything in sync, all that data staying in this big, expensive, centralized data store that they've worked so hard on. And so to answer your question, um, it, as far as ownership, it's starting to become more of a shared ownership, right? So the, the marketing team is owning the activation of that data. The data teams, and now there are dedicated data teams in large enterprise companies, um, are starting to own the governance around the data, the storage of the data, maybe the computation that runs on those data platforms. Uh, but it's a fascinating trend. It's been a lot of back and forth, um, and, uh, and it's something that we're really excited to, to see and to help our customers do. Yeah, those are, those are good points. And, and it's really important, like you said, because... You know, a lot of, especially the larger the company, the challenge has always been having separate silos of data, right? You have your, your basic website data, which shows your activity on your website. You may have separate data that shows, you know, your e-commerce, your CRM, if you have an app. And it's like all these different things and, and, and call center data, 
like all this data is coming uh, from all these different places. And a lot of these larger companies, like you said, they have these different silos of data where data is being kept in different places. And for marketing to even attempt to um, make that data actionable uh, has historically been very, very difficult. And so being able to sort of centralize that and tie that into your marketing is, is super important. And I think that's something that, as you said, it's, it's, we're starting to see more and more of um, now that sort of technology is, is caught up to the capability of being able to do that. Yeah, we're, um, we're, we're seeing it a lot with, I mean, it, it's almost like a quality of life thing for some of these marketing teams. I mean, um, one of our customers, uh, I won't, uh, a large uh, automotive rental service um, in the U.S., uh, you know, I was on one of the conversations when we first started talking with them and the head of their marketing team was sort of like at a loss of what to do. She's like, my whole team is quitting because every day we get these requests of like, hey, can we send a message to these types of customers? And it seems really easy for anyone outside of the marketing function to say like, why can't we just send a message to people in this category, in this location, this audience segment um, that we see a lot of opportunity in? Um, and people don't realize that, you know, the marketing team, if they wanted access to that centralized data, they'd have to enlist the support of like a shadow IT team to run queries for them on their spare time uh, to actually do that. And even if they do, it's like, okay, I'll get that in a couple of weeks. Uh, wouldn't it be easy to just build a, an audience in your marketing tools to, to get that? These are things that a lot of, and I come from the email marketing space. These are things that email marketing, marketing clouds have been promising for a long time. And if you read the marketing material of these companies, and I can say this, that used to come from one, uh, you'd sort of think that this was already possible. But the reality is that it, it really wasn't. Um, and it only works if all of the data is stored in these vendors, in these providers up in the cloud. If you're trying to manage it centrally, like most smart enterprises are, you can't really do it. Yep. I agree completely. Um, that's been one of the biggest challenges. And a lot of times we talk to the larger the company, the, you know, the bigger the problem it is um, because of the different locations of where their data exists. And, and a lot of them are like, I don't even know how to get access to that data. You know, you know give me a couple of weeks and I'll find out <laughs> who I need to talk to just to, you know, and like you said, you know, their IT team is busy working on product or whatever it is like, you know, for them to schedule in doing something for the marketing team is, you know, secondary to their primary job function. So, you know, it's great to see this, you know, going in a direction where we all of this can be fully integrated. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. Absolutely. Um, well, that sort of transitions into our next topic. So the financial sector is data utilization. Um, and then we titled it Reconciliation of Marketing and IT. Um, but, you know, how is the financial services industry using data today and has marketing and IT reached, you know, a data truce? Yeah, I think the war is over, uh, which is, which mm -hmm. is exciting. Um, I mean, this is a tale as old as time, right? Marketing and IT going at it, uh, either, you know, whether it's for decisions around technology. Um, and, and I think you see this more in financial services, banking, but also insurance, um, companies where 
their customer data is uh, just like central to everything that they do um, and, and needs to be protected in, you know, to the highest degree. So it's no, it's no question as to why it's important that these decisions are made across the organization in, in smart ways. Um, but yeah, we, we absolutely are seeing it. And I think some of the most interesting ways we're seeing it is to expand customer usage of other offerings that financial services companies have. For example, if you're insurance, one of our customers is the Hartford. Um, they use customer data to help them understand who the next targets should be for other insurance policies that they offer. Um, and they can start addressing those customers with you know, the next offer, right? If they're a, a homeowner uh, or they own a business, they can offer them their business insurance, they can offer them uh, disaster insurance, um, things like that. So it's, it's been really helpful for them. Um, and we're just seeing a big pickup in the usage of customer data from financial services companies. So it's really interesting. Interesting. David, yeah, what are you on this topic? Yeah, yeah. I mean, same here. Like we we work with a couple of insurance and uh, and banks as well. And so super sensitive data, uh, always in a situation where it's like, okay, you know, we have to go through like this whole, you know, um, process and, and with respect to privacy and how data is being used and, and how their data is going to be accessed and all those things. And so that's always a challenge because there's a lot of different parties involved, right? You're dealing with the, the IT team, you're dealing with the marketing team, the marketing wants to get something done. IT is saying, well, there's limitations to what we can do. Um, but we are, you know, seeing, um, I guess I'll use the words you use, uh, more of a truce in the sense that, that they are, we are seeing them working together more. Um, but I think that that's also because some of the, the tools are enabling them to do that. Um, so that's, that's been really helpful. Um, yeah. You know, we also see, and I'd love to just kind of hear um, what your experience is, is, has been with this. You know, obviously there's always been a lot of talk um, lately uh, about AI. Um, you mentioned that you, uh, you came from uh, working in an AI uh, business uh, previously and, and had some work with Watson at IBM. You know, we're starting to see the use of uh, AI in, marketing for financial services in ways that really couldn't be done before. Um, you know, marketing financial services has always kind of been a little tricky um, due to fair credit lending and lending, um, you know, sort of limitations on, on what data that you can use to target people. Um, but we're actually, you know, seeing uh, banks now using uh, our technology uh, because it sort of enables them to, to be at an arm's length and not have to sort of worry about uh, those limitations because we're not we're not using data that's that's relevant to to someone's you know um, creditworthiness or anything like that. Um, it's it's more about um, analyzing consumers in general, um, looking at a variety of different data segments to model them and 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 using that model to to find more people just like them and. And we're finding that, that this has kind of enabled us to, to work with some more financial institutions, um, you know, in marketing their services in ways that they couldn't do before. So, you know, that's something that we're seeing. I'd, I'd love to see, you know, what you're seeing in the industry as well uh, on the AI side, especially in the financial market. Oh, yeah. Um, 
boy, what a how long do you have, right? Um, no, there's <laughs> there's so much, there's so much to to talk about. Um, yeah, I'm very familiar with the AI space, uh, and I think to your point around the different use cases that can be leveraged by enterprises, it, it really is going to come down to those use cases. Um, there are a lot of fundamental reasons why you would not want to use something like a, a large language model for um, an interaction with a customer. Um, uh, there are a lot of reasons why you would want to, um, like the example you gave around lookalike audiences and, and, and making those sort of uh, deterministic or statistical probability decisions. Um, the fascinating thing, and I think this is always something that folks need to be reminded of when it comes to the AI as we know it, you know, the machine learning, the neural network-based uh, artificial intelligence is um, language models don't know what they're saying, right? So, so anything that that it spits out, it it didn't come to that, it didn't say that thing because it thinks it's answering your question. It's making a statistical probability guess around what letter comes after what letter and the next letter and the next letter until it forms sentences um, based on just ingesting millions and millions of conversations and, and sentences and interactions based on what you said. So it's it, when you're dealing with things like finance, when you're dealing with things like um, you know, banking information, uh, it, it becomes very challenging to imagine a fully self-service use case where a, a banking cl a client is talking to a virtual teller, if you will, um, that's powered by a language model and having like a flawless conversation around like what they need and like, are they getting the information they need? Because there's really no way of policing what it says <laughs> because it's making it up on the fly and you can't like approve it before, it, you know? So like there's all these really fascinating questions now that, that I think are, are on the top of our minds. Um, and as we get deeper into this new world, uh, we're going to have to start addressing. And I think there's some really interesting companies out there that are doing things like that. Um, but there are just like tons of new exciting questions around AI that uh, just make it super interesting for us to learn more. Definitely. Yeah. You like AI ethics teams. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's almost like it's an ethical problem and it's also still a technological problem. Like the, I think it's like um, it's like how do you teach a computer common sense, right? The the the, the common sense is not something that um, that in the way that we have built the AI systems that we now know, um, it is all based on statistical probability. It's like the likelihood of me saying this next word is probably going to make sense and probably is the answer that you want, um, but it's not saying what it's saying because it thinks it's the you know, correct answer to your question. Those questions don't exist, in, those answers don't exist in some database. They're being formed by the machine as, as, it, as it goes. So it's a, it's a fascinating um, time that we're in. I think that there are still so many more use cases that we don't know about yet that we're gonna start seeing more in the next year or so. Uh, that I think, you know, five years from now, we'll, we'll look back and we'll kind of giggle at how primitive uh, our use cases were, even with the existing language model technology that, that is now coming to the forefront. Yeah, 
Definitely. And I think going beyond the language models, I think that, you know, when you look at, you know, even companies like Facebook and Amazon or, or, or Google, you know, they've been using AI for years in their, you know, search results or advertising within their platforms. And um, I think that we're in an interesting place now because that has that technology has become democratized. You don't have to be a billion, multi-billion dollar company in order to use AI to target something, right? Um, and so I think you're going to see going forward from, you know, from this point on, a lot of new technologies coming out that are all about improving your ad performance and are improving, you know, an ad campaign um, using AI. And to me, that's super exciting because I think that, you know, we've always, we've been talking about like, it, it, the timing is just right because, you know, what have we been talking about for the last three years? Oh, the deprecation of cookies and we're not gonna be able to target ads anymore. Well, guess what? AI is here. Now we're going to be able to use that to target ads. And I think that's going to actually be a, a hell of a lot better, right? Because before we were targeting ads with really bad data. Now we're going to be targeting ads with intelligence behind it that is going to learn and it's going to get better and better. And so that to me is, is an exciting time for, you know, for our industry. Yeah. And let's not forget, like, data is what AI eats, right? It's, it's only as good as the data you put in. So there's, um, you can have great models, but if you don't have data underneath it, like, you know, to, to answer your early question around use cases, like we're seeing, like we have, we have um, uh, an audience suppression machine learning model that's, that's built into Action IQ. And it's one of the first things we switch on for customers because the amount of money, I mean, we've all been in that case where, you bought something and then you get an ad for the thing that you just bought. And it's like the most mm -hmm. frustrating thing. It's usually a lower price than what you just paid for, for that thing. But the data hasn't caught up with, you know, the, the, the ad delivery. Um, and, and, you know, the very simple machine learning powered use case that we give to our customers is like, don't give this ad to anyone who just bought my stuff right. uh, and cost savings that goes down. I mean, it's like, in the millions, uh, very yeah. quickly, within a few months, the amount of money that goes into those likely buyer, I want to get them to make the purchase, but they've already bought the thing that I'm trying to get them to purchase. Um, you, you can very quickly save millions of dollars in the first few months of implementing a machine learning based audience suppression model with advertising. So yeah, I think there's a ton of potential here. Um, and, and we're just at the beginning of it. Yes. And speaking no. of technology, should we get into our fourth topic, which is tech stack? We'd love to know what are some of your favorite tools in your tech stack? Yeah. I mean, besides Action IQ, obviously, um, we, uh, we, yeah, obviously, um, <laughs> we're, a, we're a big um, Google Doc shop, Google Drive. So like on the foundational stuff, we, we use a lot of that for collaboration. Of course, things like Slack, too. Um, I wouldn't sleep on HubSpot. Uh, you know, like I said, I come from the marketing cloud space and we always sort of treated HubSpot as like the little brother. Um, but man, I mean, it's just, they have such a great product. Um, the, the foundations are very strong. They built something that can scale to the size of the customer base that they have, which is, you know, not necessarily deep for like enterprise users, but broad as far as the amount of customers and, and actual data that they use on the platform. Um, so it's a great, a great tool that we use. Um, I, 
I also instruct my marketers on my team to use Gong, which is a tool that sales reps use for recording sales calls. Um, and I think that it is essential for any marketing team to understand how, especially in product marketing, like we serve the sales team. Um, so you need to understand how sales conversations are happening, you know, watch those recordings. Um, and, and so we use that extensively. Um, but then we also use things like, you know, ironclad for, for contracts, which are great if you're, you know, doing contracts with vendors or media agencies, it's a really easy way to work with legal teams. That's always a fun thing that marketing teams love. Um, <laughs> so that's another Use. Very cool. I don't That's know if we've heard of Ironclad. No, I haven't heard of that one. It's good to know. Yeah, I've been impressed so far. Definitely Google Doc. Definitely Slack. Definitely HubSpot. Um, I don't know. Have we heard? Have we talked about Gong on here? I don't think anyone's brought up Gong before. Yeah, I've mean, heard of it, but I don't think anyone's brought yeah. it up on our podcast. So I'm glad you did. Same. Yeah. Interesting. Well. We will tag those in the comments I just did on YouTube. Um, but, you know, we do have a few more minutes left, so we could get into our post-topic questions. Um, so we like to ask people, Michael, you know, what you've learned along the way. So if you could go back to when you first came into the industry, what is the number one piece of advice you would give yourself? Boy, um, I think the main lesson that I've learned is that for marketers in particular, is you need to spend time with customers. I think you can learn more in a day with your customers than six months in an office speaking internally. Uh, we talked about using tools to, to watch meetings that sales reps have, but like talk to the sales team, talk to your e-commerce team. Um, if, you know, people think about market research uh, as being these big projects that require big budgets and, and quantitative analytics and all this stuff. I mean, you could just have 10 conversations with 10 sales reps um, or five conversations with five customers that are friendly to you and learn so much in a very short period of time. Uh, so I think talking to customers, spending time with customers, you'll also hear about you know, their language. I mean, yeah, you'll hear about pain points, you'll hear about challenges that they face and how to deliver a better message to them. But you'll also hear the way that they phrase things. I think it's very easy for us to make assumptions when we're all just talking to each other about what these industry terms are called. Um, they might call it something totally different. And it's the only way to, to learn that is by talking to them and learning from them. So I would say talk to your customers as much as you can, make time for it is always going to be an educational experience that's going to make you a better marketer. Definitely. That's a great answer. Yeah, great advice. Absolutely. And, you know, going off of that, are there any lessons you've learned along the way from, you know, past jobs or your current job um, that you think everyone else should know? Yeah. Um, let's see. There's, there's an old product marketing, like, phrase that I heard really early in my career. I can't remember where it's from, um, but it's held true. And it's, uh, it's a lesson that I would pass down to anyone, which is, uh, I think it goes something like this. Our opinions, while interesting, are irrelevant. 
meaning, you know, it, it's, it might be interesting that you think this marketing campaign, this messaging, this differentiator is the best answer or the, the thing that you should be putting in your marketing or your campaigns. Um, but it sort of doesn't matter what you think. <laughs> um, at, you, you may have some intuition based on your experience, but that experience should be informed by the market, should be informed by both your customers, uh, but also the folks that need to deliver that message, right? Your sales teams, um, are they informed by your product teams? Um, do some testing, do some, some analysis of, of data. And that sounds like a big word or a big project, but like, you know, look at some spreadsheets, man, you know, like really easy stuff. Um, uh, you know, take some notes in, in a conversation and, and have three or four of those conversations and then, you know, make a basic bar chart and see if there are any trends. Uh, there's really easy ways to inform yourself and it's always better to get a general sense of what the market is saying um, and use that that will also help you be more specific. Um, it's really easy to be vague in messaging as well. Um, Cloud-based, scalable, right? Like you, these are words that every company says about themselves. Um, if you understand what the market is actually saying, if you're talking to your customers, um, you don't have to use your own opinion. You can just use what your customers are already saying and it's gonna be much more applicable to them. And it's gonna cut through a lot of the noise that is out there in the market. That's really insightful. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, in closing, Michael, you know, where can the listeners find you? Yeah, you can, um, you can definitely learn more about Action IQ at actioniq.com. Um, you can find us on LinkedIn. Um, and if you have any questions for me or you want to reach out and say hi, you can find me on LinkedIn too. You can just search for Michael Trapani. And uh, uh, yeah, I would love to say hi. And this has been a great conversation. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely, Michael. We really appreciate you joining us here on the show. And uh, it has been a great conversation. I'm glad we got to dig into the topics we did. Um, and I think that uh, our listeners got some you know, good information out of it as well. And uh, thank you so much. Appreciate you being here. Thanks for yes. having me. Yes. And, um, you know, we do have this uh, banner that we drop every show. So in case we have any new listeners, I'm going to go ahead and make sure they see the QR code to OmniIQ to check out BDEX's app where you can upload your first party data just a CSV file, and you get complimentary analytics. I was showing this on my own page last week, I think, live. So you can go see a demo of it on my page, but it's really easy to use, and you get complimentary birth year, household income, and which is the third one I'm missing, um, gender on yeah. your list. And um, then you can, of course, explore the, more from there and, and upgrade and you can create audiences. So you can take that data, you can learn from your data and then use AI to go create your next audience. So check out, you know, Omni IQ. Um, if, the, uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast and you can't see the QR code, just go to bdex.com and click try for free. Um, but, you know, we would also love to hear from our listeners. What did you think of this episode? Are there any guests that you would like to have us on? You can always reach us at info at bdex.com. 
and you can share your qualitative data with us so we can make this better for you. So thank you so much again, everyone. And I'll go ahead and close this out with a video. Take care. Bye-bye.